Welcome to another episode of Not Too Deep. I'm your host, Grace Selvig. Today we have the loveliest woman, actor, well, author, actor, activist, producer, in whatever order you want. She told Chev here with us today. Uh, she's absolutely lovely. Did I say that? I probably did. It's just because she is. She is the author of the children's book, uh, Always Anjali, and the author of the upcoming children's book, which might be out already. Bravo, Anjali. We talk all about what it's like to write children's books and the importance of, um, you know, talking to children about what people might consider adult things, but are just like actual conversations you should have with children uh, and how that might be overlooked by a lot of people. We also talk what it was like uh, getting diagnosed with breast cancer, raising two children, um, and then all the while trying to be a lovely, uh, proactive artist in the world. She's just incredible. I had the best time talking to her, and I hope you really enjoy this episode as much as I did. So please enjoy this episode of Not Too Deep with Sheetal Chef. Sheetal. Yeah. I am so excited to talk to you. Me too. Uh, I am... I have so many questions for you, um, <laughs> but one of the things I, I like to do uh, for guests that I think are kind of multi-hyphenate, multifaceted, is ask them, how do you describe what you do? That is... Very- I know, it's, a, it's putting you on the spot. <laughs> no, and so no. it, is, it is a bit much for, uh, up front. No, but it's, you're right. I mean, how I think it's good for us to kind of find the words, but I guess the best way for me, um, I would say I like to tell stories Mm, in mm -hmm. different mediums and different ways. But at the end of the day, I do feel, um, that I am telling stories and I generally focus on telling stories about traditionally marginalized communities. Yeah. It's, you have such a, a, an interesting career path that I, I don't know if you, like sought this out or could have predicted uh, anything about it for yourself. But I'm curious how it's all kind of happened linearly. Like you went to NYU Tisch, um, Mm -hmm. which I'm hyper fascinated about. Uh, What was for acting, right? Yeah. Okay. So what's that experience like (laughs) first off? Because that I have ideas. My imagination can run wild with what I think it's like. It's probably what you think it's like. Um, Because there's a lot of different ways of experience in Tish. I mean, for me, when I discovered I wanted to be an actress, which was in high school, Mm -hmm. Tish was kind of the holy grail. I was in a small town in Pennsylvania. I really wanted to get to New York. I thought it was the best of both worlds. You can go to acting school, a great acting school and live in New York City, you know, all of those things. Yeah. Um, And so I was thrilled when I got in. It's a whole kind of process. And, you know, what I like to say with reflection, not while I was in it, I'd probably have a different answer is that you make, you get what you make out of it. Like what you put into it, you get out of it. And Tish is incredible and it has so many resources, but they're Mm -hmm. not, you have to kind of seek them out. You have to be proactive. They're, they're very much about, um, and now it's been a very long time not to date myself. So I don't know if it's still like that, but when (laughs) I was there, they were very adamant about not um, auditioning and being in professional things. Like they really wanted outside of the school, outside of the school. Oh, wow. And so they really encouraged us to just focus on the work and the training, um, which I thought was interesting. Um, there was a few, I, I thought it would be, you know, 
what I found that they started doing later was they started to do the business of acting classes, which I think is as important as obviously training. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause it's a whole other thing. Um, but to, to be honest, it was a really wonderful experience. And I have yeah. some of my best friends to date from college and we've all kind of grown in this industry together. Um, huh. but also very much a bubble. And yeah. when I left, I was not prepared. <laughs> well, I mean, which is so wild to think about because you're going to New York, which is like, yeah. you know, this uh, constantly moving. Well, I, I'm from New Jersey originally um, and also moved to New York after I graduated college. So it's wild to think that you can be in a bubble in such a fast paced <sighs> environment around all of you. It is. It is. I know you think there's a dichotomy there, but and but they're really it really was that because you're in, yeah. you're just in your space. You're an artist, you know, you think you're really yeah, yeah. like in the seat, you're doing your thing. But then when I last, I mean, because the thing is they were, you know, inclusive and colorblind mm-hmm. and, and they didn't like the things that happened in the world and the things that happened in our industry were not things that we dealt with because we were just all doing work, you know, and yeah. just trying to be the best actors we could be. And so, yeah. and maybe, and, and I think hopefully now that they now talk about some of that stuff, because I think it's important, you know, but, um, at the time it was really, but I feel very lucky. I had a great, uh, foundation. I went and did a study abroad one summer in Amsterdam. I did a theater school (gasps) there, which was like a dream for a lot of reasons. Sounds wild. It was amazing. Yes. It was (laughs) all of those things. Um, and then, you know, when I, when I finished, I, I ended up moving to Los Angeles and I lived there for 13 years. I only came back recently. Mm-hmm. And so, you know. Well, it's it's so interesting to me because um, obviously we have uh, Bravo Anjali, uh, the book that's uh, coming out or will be out by the time this podcast goes up. So if you haven't pre-ordered, pre-order already. Um, but like you said, you want to tell stories. And in looking at kind of your acting credits on everything you've been in movies like i can't think straight the world unseen all of these movies about um you know gay communities at a time where it wasn't really where we're at now so it feels like you've i don't know if it's intentionally or unintentionally been kind of tackling these like um like you said marginalized communities and like seeing the unseen kind of thing yeah i mean it's I mean, I didn't at the time, it wasn't like I was thinking about it that way. Sure. But when I look back at what the movies were when I did them, I do realize now like how um, profoundly impactful they were and why and then why they are. Yeah. Um, and also, you know, um, you know, we were a little bit ahead of our time in the sense of, you know, a lot of the movies I did that because I love independent movies and we were telling mm-hmm. stories that at that time, like studios wouldn't green light. Um, whereas now we're in a different world. And so it's like, it's interesting because I see certain people do certain movies and I'm just like, we did that like 15 years ago, by the way. And I'm like, been there, done that. that. (laughs) I've already like moved to the next thing, but okay, fine. If if people want to watch it now, go ahead and watch it. But also like, let's rewind to like what we did, you know? So a little bit before our time. (laughs) But that, and that must be like very layered and interesting to go. Like we were quote, taking a risk by telling these stories back then that now are suddenly, you know, trendy is not the right word, but like becoming more um, prompted in pop culture. And so it's, yeah, it must be layered to be like, kudos, glad you guys are, uh, you know, seeing these stories. But like, uh, we were screaming at you back here back then about it. It's true. And I mean, to the point where 
you know, I've almost every one of my projects, you know, I get an equal amount of like vitriol thrown at me as I do love, you know, when I, when, when, when a number of my movies came out, whether it be my first one, or if we talk about, I can't think straight in the world and scene, because at the time you were not seeing, you know, female driven love stories. Yeah. Gay, gay characters. I was Muslim in one of them, you know, so there's a lot of just stuff wrapped up in that. Now for me, I read the script and I was just like, oh my God, this is beautiful. And I want to tell the story. And it was based on true stories. Um, But when those movies came out, I was not, I was shocked. Also, that's probably me because I'm an idealist and don't realize how messed up people are. But the amount of like, you should die. um, Why would you ever do this? Why would you make this movie type of emails I would get? um, was really disturbing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, it's one of those things where it's like a, a testament to like the art provoking people in a way, but at the same time, uh, disappointing to see what people do when they're provoked and like, you know, real feelings come out in some sort yeah. of way. Um, but nothing but respect and admiration for you, like taking on those parts and, and doing all of that. Um, I'm curious how we get into the writing children's book (laughs) narrative pops up for you. Talk me through this trajectory. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's not completely out of the blue in that I have worked with kids my whole life. It is a, well, you have a few, I have, I have, I have two of my own. (laughs) Okay. So you Um, have a, yeah, you have a, um, test audience. (laughs) I have, I do. They're, they're my focus group with all my kids stuff. Always. It's great. But when I was, I mean, since I can remember, you know, I have been, whether it be volunteering, babysitting, working, peer helpering, mentoring, like it's something that I love since I was a very young, I was always like the rep at my school to like go and talk to the younger kids. I was always like putting on, I would put on, I remember I was part of a theater group that we would make up like issue based things that we would take to the elementary schools to talk about drugs or whatever it is we need wow. to talk about. So it's something that I've always, it's if I wasn't an actress, I would be a teacher. In fact, I thought I'd always be a teacher for the longest time until I started finding wow. acting. And so I, when I was at NYU, I took a lot of education classes. I probably have a minor in it. I don't remember if like it actually <laughs> ended up happening, but I think I did. Yeah, I was yeah. also part of AmeriCorps, which is, mm-hmm. you know, President Clinton's program where you go into schools. And I did that for four years. I, oh, wow. you know, developed lessons plans. So this is not out of the blue. Right. This um, is, uh, you've been training in this I world. Know, I, yeah. I know, I know kids in a way that is different, you know, like I, I, mm-hmm. I certainly connect in a way, but in terms of the writing, you know, it was when I was pregnant with my first mm-hmm. and much like all of media, as you know, and we know, you know, uh, I was starting to read children's books and was like, are you kidding me? This is, <laughs> this, this is what we have. This is the this best is we can do. With? Like, oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. And I really, I was so upset. I remember because I was pregnant and I was hot and I was like <laughs> uncomfortable and I would spend all these hours in a bookstore and I'd be like, oh, <laughs> and so I would ask them, like, bring me all the books about, you know, whatever, with different characters of color, this, that, whatever. Yeah. And when it came to South Asian representation, it was always about Diwali or Holy or Eid mm-hmm. or some religious thing or some mm-hmm. extraordinary situation. And I was like, 
do they know that we also have pets and play instruments <laughs> and play sports and have parents and have dinners and like can do They're human beings? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like we're we're brown 24-7 and we do lots of things, not just celebrate holidays, you know? Yeah. And frankly, even those books I found to be really culturally insensitive and inaccurate. And so yeah. I just, I, I, I was incensed and I didn't know what I was going to do about it, but I did start mm -hmm. writing. I didn't know if it was very good. It took me about a year before I even shared it with anybody. Really? Yeah. How did community. you, can I ask how you developed the character and the initial storyline? Did you have other ideas Did you kind of like, um, you know, have a whole like map of connecting strings like you're solving a mystery yeah no i mean i i, I kind of did it you know because we're actors the, the work about creating her was very much character work and i just kind of mm. journaled as who i thought this girl would be who is oh, very cool. much based on me my friends my kids it's a mixture of so many things you know yeah. i know her inside and out because it's very much based on true stories yeah. Um, and then, you know, like they say, when you're starting to write, write what you know. So when I was trying mm -hmm. to think I had like a list of like what the narratives would be. And the very first book, Always Anjali, is about what happened to me when I was little and when I grew up and everyone told me I had to change my name to work. I lost jobs as an actress because I refused wow. to change my name. I have so many stories about maybe one day I'll call them out in that memoir, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> about people who, you know, wouldn't, that, that said, literally said to me, you're not, if you just change your name, we'll give you the job, that type of thing. That um, is, ugh, God, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, so I thought, you know, I know how kids are struggling with feeling like how they need to fit in. And mm -hmm. the, the broader idea is that you shouldn't have to change anything about yourself in order to be, to fit in in any way. And so for yeah. Anjali in the first book, it was very much about like her name and wanting to change it because she was made fun of and never found a license plate. And until she learns that it's actually great to have that name and what it means and, and, and that it's to be celebrated. But um, yeah. it's all based on all of my books are like all loosely based on, on true stories. And yeah. I, you know, I didn't know anything about publishing. I remember I went to my acting manager and just said, mm -hmm. I have this idea. I have this children's book and I love her, but she was like, I know nobody. I don't know how to help you with this. <laughs> and I was like, great. Like, thanks. Well, you were my one. I guess yeah. I'll cross you <laughs> off and start yeah, a new exactly, list. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so then I just started like now that with the internet and everything, there's so yeah. much out there. So I just started like it was like six months of like emailing and cold emailing and reading and like just sending things to people that I hope would read it and slowly yeah. found my way, got an agent, submitted it. It took years before I found the right publisher. Wow. Um, and by this time you started while you were incubating a baby yeah. and now you you by this have time baby, have, yes. have a baby okay wow yes. so this is happening in the background while motherhood yeah. is happening in the foreground or vice versa yeah and while I'm also still acting and doing all the other things that we do um yeah. but it was something I really I wasn't sure what would happen and then when the first book became so successful yeah. um it clearly tapped into something that I knew that I knew there was a huge void. in, And I'm mm -hmm. like, and I also, you know, there was a lot of people when I was submitting my books that were like, we, we just want like happy books. And I'm like, first of all, my, my book is happy. Like it's very <laughs> joyful, but it actually How deals dare with you. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I, I'm not going to write a book about like the unicorn and dinosaur, like going camping yeah. together. Like I write about, <laughs> yeah. and those are fine, but and that's what everyone wants. You know, they want like the cute huh. bunny stories and the cute dog stories. And I was like, I write about real things because I yeah. know kids want to talk about them and they want in. And I cannot tell you how, since my books have like gone out, how many times kids are like, thank you for like, 
treating us like people and not, Mm -hmm. and know that we can have these conversations and they're important and we have to have them young. Yeah. Well, that was the thing I was going to ask the idea of not only getting into, you know, writing, uh, in general, but then getting into writing for children. Uh, and I, you know, it's the whole SpongeBob of it all where like kids can handle it. And yes. in fact, they want it. Like you're saying that I, I'm curious about like the writing process for you with the storytelling of like, how, how do you decide how filtered to go on a topic for children? Or do you just kind of say, nah, I'm, I'm, I trust my instincts on this. Well, I will say to the, to the earlier point about kids being able to handle it. I always like to say when people say that to me, um, who are pushing back, I'm like, kids are being gunned down in schools. They can handle conversations about racism and bullying. Like, give me a break. Uh, You want them to get a bulletproof backpack and you don't want them to talk about racism. Come on. So I'm just like, stop it, stop it, stop it. Um, Mm -hmm. but in terms of, yeah, I will say it, it is a process for me. Um, you know, Bravo Anjali, I, I knew we were going to do more, you know, that it's a series it's done well. Um, and I was writing it and I had written something completely different and then Hillary and Trump political, you know, Mm. that election happened and I'm very, um, involved in the political scene. And, um, I've seen your Twitter. <laughs> um and I, you know, it was the height of the Me Too movement, and I was getting mm-hmm. so many flashback trauma uh memories from just like things, and maybe you can relate, but like when we started out back in the day, things happened on such a regular basis that you don't have time to be outraged for every little yeah. thing. Yeah. And I was telling my husband, I'm like, there's so much that's coming back to me that I forgot about, or just was yeah. like, oh, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And so all that was going on, and I was writing this, and I was like, you know what? I have an opportunity is there a way to put this in kids world? Like the me too mm. kind of sexist misogyny, all the just stuff. Wow. And so Bravo Anjali, so I changed it and I decided to do a book for kids that dealt with these in, in kids speak. And so mm-hmm. in, in the second book, so I always have an Easter egg at the end of each book where it gives you a clue of what the next book would be. Now I had oh, no fun. idea that. And then when I look back at always Anjali, there's a picture of, Anjali playing the tabla at the end. And then it Uh it clicked. And I was like, I want to do this. The tabla is a traditionally male dominated instrument. (gasps) That's it. That was my entry point. And so then I just started thinking, okay, so she's going to play the tabla. She's going to be the only girl in her class. She's going to be the best. The boys aren't going to like it. And that's where the story begins. And so she, and so she deals with how to be the only girl in the room. And, and she starts messing up on purpose because she doesn't want, she wants the kids to like her. And so she has to end up learning that she should never dim her light and that you should never let anyone make you feel bad for being good at something. So I think very important for girls, but also Mm -hmm. there's this conversation that happens between her friend who's a boy and her, because I really wanted to give boys language around this because I think we see what happens yeah, uh, AKA Brett Kavanaugh when yes. you don't have, um, yes. these kind of things talked about. And so I didn't let him off the hook. This is all again in kid world, but yeah. it, um, at the That's end, it, it starts. Comes, yeah, exactly. And so mm-hmm. I, I really like, I really like kind of using the, the conversation between Deepak and her, her friend. She doesn't, mm-hmm. he says, he says he's sorry. And she doesn't say, Oh, it's okay. She says, you really hurt my feelings. Like it wasn't okay. You know? And I think it's important to like show that these things are important. Like it's not okay. We can move on, but like we have to talk about it. And so that's what the second book is about. And I'm really excited about it. 
coming I can out. barely tell that you are so excited about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know when you I, work on something for so long yeah, and it's fine? It's, like, I mean, this feels like another labor for you, like truly <sighs> childbirth in a way. Well, There's so much symbolism. I will say I, and this is public, so it's not like, you know, I, I have yeah. two kids. I wanted more. I always wanted yeah. a lot of kids. But when I was diagnosed with cancer, that was off of the table. Yeah. And I wasn't, I was very told very clearly, you'll never be able to have a child again. And as mm-hmm. I was grieving that, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put it all of my books, all of my movies, like these are going to be my, my babies. Yeah. Like they really yeah. are. I feel that way to me. So that's where I'm channeling it all. <laughs> I, oh gosh, I have so much respect and adoration for that. It's so, we, I have to take a break right now, but uh, <laughs> we're going to keep this conversation going in just a second. We'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Not- Hello listeners, Grace Helbig here, wanting to say two things. A big thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, If you're a regular listener, if this is your first time listening, welcome and thank you. And uh, second thing, if you are enjoying yourself here in this not-too-deep world we've built and you'd like to leave us a review, that would be so wonderful. If you can go to the iTunes store, the App Store, and leave us a lovely little review, comment, how are you feeling? Good, bad, otherwise? Maybe just good or otherwise would be appreciated. Other than that, enjoy the podcast. I'm so uh, just eager and excited about what you do. I've always been fascinated by people that write uh, children's books, but write them in a really deep and meaningful way. Um, I'm curious in that you're, I'm trying to find in my notes, your um, illustrator, Lucia, is that the name? For Bravo Anjali, Lucia Soto, yes. Okay, I'm curious because it feels like, especially for children's books, the content itself and then the illustrations are such a collaborative thing. How did that um, relationship come to be for you? Yeah, it's it's hand in hand and yeah. you need, I mean, Lucia is amazing. So the way it works um, in traditional publishing is mm. when you sell a manuscript, you sell it to the publisher and then they own it and then they hire the illustrators and right. you, know, you take it from there. Now, I was very clear with all of my deals that I wanted to have a say in who that would be and Hell that yeah. it would be collaborative and that all of that. And so the publisher I work with is amazing. And so she kind of sent a bunch of options and we talked about it together. And then you have calls, you see who mm-hmm. gets it. You know, I wanted to see like, what's your vision for the story. Yeah. Um, and Lucia has been tremendous. She's doing book three and all the rest of the books that will happen. Ugh. Just come on. And she is, um, she's wonderful. She's, I will say she takes, which is the process, right? Like you have mm-hmm. a manuscript and my manuscript has probably changed even another 25 times after she, she starts doing the pictures because you realize you don't need as many words when the pictures do the work for you. Sure. Yeah. And so with, with this age group, which is illustrated books, which is like four to nine, um, you need text, but the words you use have to be really, you have to pick them wisely. Mm. And, the, and so they work hand in hand with the book. And so the rhythm of it, I will see being an actor really helps write this age book because they're mm. meant to be read out loud. Mm. And so it really being a performer really helps um, with the rhythm of getting all of those things wow, right. Wow, yeah. The page. I've never thought about the idea of obviously children's books are read out loud to them. So 
it's almost like composing like a, <clears throat> yep. a, a piece of music that it all works together and like supports each other. That's There's so rhythm. interesting. And I'm, sure, and I'm sure with your stand-up too, like when you're working it out, like for me, I do have a focus group with my kids or the perfect yeah. age. I have lots of friends with kids. When I'm trying to work through something, I just go and read it to them because then it's clear, like I'm working it out and then I can figure out the answer. Yeah, I was going to ask how much uh, do you actually kind of talk to your children about what you're working on? They, they, they won't have it any other way. Really? <laughs> I, have, I have a four and a seven year old. So they're just like, in, uh, they're really focus group. Yeah. Um, and they are very, they also love books. And my seven year old learned how to read this past year. So she just is like, that's I love great. how much she loves to read. In an and age of so, technology, yes. that's such a wonderful thing for a child to cultivate. <laughs> she loves it and she's always wanting to write with me and it's adorable. Um, they're that's very great. clear when they don't like something. I had a, a book that, I was, that I'm in, on deadline with and I read it to her. It's a chapter book. Yeah. And the, the boy, the main character of the, of the book is a boy and he, run, he learns a very important lesson. And my daughter started crying and she was like, I don't <gasps> like that. That shouldn't happen to him. Why are you making him have to learn a lesson? And I was like, Ember, like, this is life. And she, yeah. it was so interesting that she had such a visceral reaction to it. And I was like, this is why wow. I need to keep it in because you kids need to know what it's like when you don't get what you want. Yeah. And, you know, it was just so, yeah, they have, they have a lot of opinions and thoughts. Wow. But it, made, but it did make me soften it a little. I was like, maybe I don't need to be harsh with it. Fine, I'll soften it a little, but it's going to still happen. <laughs> is this... Anyway, I'll cut this out if this is not appropriate. Making happy? No. So making happy is okay. um, that's been announced. This is something that hasn't okay. been announced. Making happy, I wrote um, when I was sick, when I was going through chemo. Yeah, and... talk to us a little bit about that because I know because I've researched everything about you. But for people that don't know your story, can you kind of like talk to us about it? Sure. I um, was diagnosed with breast cancer in December of 2018. It was a huge shock to me and everybody around me, um, wow. which just tells you cancer doesn't discriminate. And yeah. I say that in the sense of like, I, you know, all the things the doctor tells you to change about your life, I was already doing. I've been plant-based since I was 15 years old. I work out yeah. five times a day. I'm healthy. I don't smoke. I breastfed. I had like all the things that they yeah. tell you. I was already doing it. So mm. there was no quote, not that there is a reason, but it all, it was a shock. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty serious. And so mm. I had a double mastectomy. I had uh, a year of treatment, including 12 rounds of chemo and immunotherapy. I had reconstruction. Um, wow. It was a tough couple of years. At yeah. that time, my kids were two and four. And the hardest part with my kids were um, after my surgery, not being able to hug them. Yeah. At that age, for a very long time, was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to deal with because yeah. all they want is like, you know, to lay on you. And I, I couldn't, like, I couldn't risk it. Mm -hmm. um, but even just like seeing the chemo and, and, and I had all these very rare reactions. Um, I lost my eyesight at times. I had neuropathy. Oh, wow. I had folliculitis on my bald head, which means you have blisters all over. I mean, it was like horrible, wow. horrible, horrible, horrible. Yeah. Um, and I was looking for books because I needed to find ways to talk about this with my kids. And all mm -hmm. I could find when it dealt with death or illness were very abstract books. Like this chair represents the person or whatever, like nothing, mm. again, nothing that talked to kids in a real way. And I was yeah. like, God, come on again, this idea of like kids need this yeah. and how, and, and everybody deals with illness in families. Yeah. And so I just started writing, um, 
It's called Making Happy. And it's about a girl whose mom is sick. And mm-hmm. it's very much, it's very personal. It's probably the most personal thing I've written and how they deal with it. And then wow. they have real conversations about what's going on. And she asks her, why did you get sick? And all yeah. of the things that kids need to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also very joyful. It's called making happy. And it's all about this idea of like just making happy in every moment you can, because you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Ah, that's beautiful. And like you said, it's really, I think, hugely important. And uh, I'm sure for you on a personal level, just like for your soul, necessary to be able to communicate these really complex emotions and situations to yourself and your children. Yeah. Like there's, you, it's, you don't want to wait until it happens to for a child to have to figure out how to handle it. Yeah. And I'm frankly like, I don't have the answers. And that's the thing. Yeah. Like, I don't know why or how or what. And, uh, and everything that I thought I knew, you know, I wasn't ever really, I'm not very, I'm not a religious person. I don't believe things happen for a reason. It makes me crazy mm. when I hear that. Um, I, I think that things happen and I think people tell each, I think we all tell ourselves stories to make ourselves feel better about it, but I do think mm-hmm. things are quite random and there's no rhyme or reason to things. Mm-hmm. And so tomorrow is not promised. And I know that so well, I've had a lot of tragedy in my family, in my life and after yeah. everything I went through. Um, and so I want to be really honest about that with kids in a way that's not scary, you know, in a way that feels yeah. just honest. There's, um, there's like a a blunt gentleness to the things that you're doing that I I really appreciate. Um, I'm gonna steer a little bit off course uh, and get into some sillier conversation. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna ask you the two questions I ask every single guest uh, that's on the podcast, and the first is, who alive or dead would you most like to throw cold spaghetti at? <laughs> Cold yeah. spaghetti. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness! Um, it's a tough one. I know it is. I'm like, there's so many people on that <laughs> wall of shame. Um, my goodness. Um, <gasps> wow. I, you know, but this can also. I'm just going to put it out there. One, this is an answer that can change on an hourly or daily basis. Right. right. Two. It can also change in the intention in which you want to throw it. You can throw it celebratory. You can throw it happily. You can throw it silly, uh, comedically, however you decide. Yeah. I mean, not to state the obvious, but I feel like the most kind of current thing, and I really feel it, though, with all of my soul is, you know, number 45. Um, yeah. I don't yeah, even like to very, say his name. Very popular answer, but I mean, I really do. Like, I yeah. there's so much about him that it just is like, what's wrong in the world? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you have like, if there is a test case or like a psychology or a psychiatry book to be talked about, like what yep. not to do or how not to raise a child, I think he <sighs> is like the perfect kind of test case around that. Yes. Um, but there's so much that continues to happen because of him. And it, it really, it, it hurts my heart. Yeah. Um, well, you're not alone in that answer at all whatsoever. Um, I don't want to give him any more time on this podcast. So. Yes. <laughs> uh, okay. The other question I ask every single guest is to tell us uh, your worst pants shitting story or a like a bathroom emergency situation that you experienced. However, you can only tell us in using three words 
or three small phrases um, or some kind of combination of those things. Mine, to give you an example, is um, college jogging front lawn. (laughs) Um, Okay. Three words. (laughs) I will say bar. (laughs) Um, Illegal substances. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that'll do it. Um, and no bathrooms available. Oh, oh, no follow-up questions for me, (laughs) but that sounds pretty rough. (laughs) And I do appreciate that you had a story on deck to be able to (laughs) tell us. Some people don't. I was like, do we go the pregnancy route? Because there's a lot there too. Just a lot that happens. Sure. Um, Okay. Now we have a part of the podcast uh, called Deep and Hot, where we've already kind of gotten pretty deep, but uh, I have a deep question prepared for you, uh, if you're okay to answer, and then um, a hot take on something that we have prepared for you, if you're okay to give us a a hot take on something. Okay. So, a deep question for you is, when you see your children, who and what do you see? I really do see them for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm always looking for me and my husband in them because they are oh. such their own people that I'm like, I know I'm in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. I'm kind of like, cause there's some friends that are like, they're so me. And I'm like, I don't feel that my kids are such their own people. Um, wow. and I'm just trying to like, find and I, I think with time as they get older I'll probably see it more but, yeah are um, they they're at the age where they're developing like personalities now they so have they're... full personality they couldn't be more different wow um and all, my goal is two things one is to make sure they're not assholes like that's our job like more <laughs> than great. anything great and goal. number two <laughs> is like I just try to brainwash them because I've got two girls to like make them appreciate each other. I'm like, this is your mm. person. This is the person you'll have in your whole life. She yep. is like, and, and I, I just, am like trying to get it in their head that like they need to be good to each other for yeah. forever. That's just, important to me. Even if they don't recognize it now, it's planted that at some point they'll yeah. look around and see this giant tree behind yeah, them and go, oh, exactly. shoot. Um, okay. You've kind of already answered a little bit of this hot take that we have for you, but I'm curious if there's anything else that comes up. Um, it's a hot take, whatever your hot take is on people that might think children shouldn't be exposed to like big ideas. Um, I think those people should sit down and listen to kids Mm, mm -hmm. because they do. And like I said, you can't turn on the TV without something going on in the news. You can't, I mean, kids are literally being shot in their classrooms. Yep. Um, there's, you know, metal detectors <sighs> coming into schools. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I, I do school, so many school visits with my kids and it was so interesting. I did one with Always Anjali just a few months ago at the end of this past school year. Mm-hmm. And a first grader asked me if I wrote the book after what happened to George Floyd. A and first grader first asked grader. you that. Mm-hmm. Wow. And it was, it just tells you like people know what's going on and they, they're, yeah. they, they're talking about it. They're curious. They want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I told him, I was like, actually I didn't, but I know why you're at, I mean, the book had been out before that, but I said, you know, yeah. I know why you're asking that. And I love that you connected that and thought about that when mm. you read the book. Yeah. Just validating their 
feelings and experiences around things that I think people don't believe children understand or notice or like witness. Uh, there's just so much, there's so much mis kind of interpretation about stuff. A lot of people like to say like kids are colorblind and I'm like, they're not mm -hmm. colorblind. It's ridiculous. Kids can yeah. see color. The difference is kids don't put value to it. And it's the mm. adults that teach them that certain yeah. colors are, you know, valued a certain way. Like, of course they can see red, white, blue, whatever. Yeah. But they don't think about it the way we do. And that's yeah. the difference, you know? And so it's just about being intellectually honest about this. And I think that most of the problems are the ones we have and we put them on our children. Yeah, that's so, uh, I mean, it's, it seems so obvious, but it's not to so many people, which yeah. is why this is like a conversation that's happening. <laughs> um, okay, I have to take one last break. When we get back, um, you're just a wealth of information. So I think you'll be able to really help someone that's written in with a question. We'll be right back with more Not Too Deep. Sheeta, I wanted to ask you... Uh, before we give in, we're, we're back in, before we get into giving some guidance uh, to someone that's written in, I, you do live streams on your Instagram mm -hmm. with people a lot and you work, um, a lot with like a life, life coaches or, uh, a mm -hmm. lot. Of, and so I'm curious what your thoughts are in that world. So it's interesting. Um, the Handel group, which is, yeah. um, the coaching company woman Laurie Gerber was my life coach. She's not anymore, but mm -hmm. it came to me through a friend a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And I, it was just one of those interesting serendipitous things. It was in a really tough time. I was going through cancer. It was all the stuff. Um, and my friend was like, I've been working with this woman and she's looking to try new clients and et cetera, et cetera. Would yeah. you be? And I was like, you know what? I've never done it, but why not? I entertained the thought and I had a yeah. number of conversations with her that I really, um, it really helped me. It really helped me as some, for someone like me, I'm a very kind of academic thinker mm -hmm. and I've been in therapy most of my life. I hadn't been for a while, but the work that we did really helped me look at myself, my work, my personal life in a way that I had never thought about before. Mm. And so, and I just, you know, as when, when something like comes into your life, that's helpful. Like I just want to share it and have more yeah. people have access to it. So we started doing these lives, just talking about certain things and in, in the best way you can in a short period of time. And so that's where that came from. And, and I, I recommend it, you know, for anybody, I think that there's, we all can benefit from whether it be coaching or therapy or whatever it is that yep. gives you that. Um, I think it would make us all uh, a better place. I am with you on that note. You and I are going to try to offer someone else okay. <laughs> a bit of uh, guidance, coaching, whatever word you want to use. Um, this one is kind of straight to the point. And I am curious about uh, your thoughts on this. So uh, a listener and viewer has written in basically uh, a lack of motivation is uh, what they're looking for. They say, I feel like I have no motivation or drive to do anything what can I do to try to find the motivation to start working on myself and or becoming better? It's hard. I mean, some days I feel that way too. Um, yeah, same. And some days you feel like it and some days you don't. Um, I always say that on the days that you feel that, where you feel like I don't have any energy or need or desire to do anything, do one small thing. Just force mm. yourself to do one tiny thing 
Yeah. And then you'll, and, and you'll, and the thing is you will feel so much better about yourself when you do that one thing that that yeah. I think feeds into the, like, think about how you'll feel when you do two small things or three small things. And yeah. on the days that you feel really good, do 20 things because yeah. you'll get there. You just have to get it into it's. I think you have to train yourself. And I think, you know, this, when you're, when you're in this kind of uh, business, Mm-hmm. It's all self-generated. It's all self-motivated. If we don't do the work and get up, there's no structure to our day unless we create there's it. There's no one to blame but ourselves. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> so you either want to do it or you don't. And yeah. you, it's really up to you if you want to have the life that you want. And one of my favorite quotes is, uh, "Next, this time next year, you will have wished you started today. And so Ooh. it's just a great way to keep in mind, like every small thing adds up because yeah. time, days are long, but the years go by fast. And so we got to just find our way. I love that because that is how I felt in my life about uh, many different things is going, what if I like followed that inkling that I had about something that seemed way too hard to do then? Um, because I think people can get very lost or overwhelmed by looking at big picture rather than like you're saying one small thing at a time gets you to like, you can't drive cross country unless you start getting in a car and like turn the engine on and then leave your driveway. Uh, But like eventually if you keep doing that, if you keep putting your your foot on the gas, you can, you know, add miles. And so I, because I know for myself a lot of times that I will get, um, overwhelmed by wanting to get to the conclusion of a hard time versus taking the time to just like be patient with myself, give myself forgiveness of like, yeah, one thing at a time. And yeah. if you can do that one thing, wow. What it's about also, two things? I, I think it's also good to set um, like daily goals, weekly mm. goals, monthly goals, short and long term, like something that actually my coach helped me do. Yeah. I'm curious about what your routine is or what tips and tricks you have. Yeah, for like that. for me, and this is because I'm a, I do thrive on scheduling and like yeah. all of that. I need it. I need structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was finding myself very, I mean, here's the thing, you know, you, as you know, you work so hard, you're trying to get all these things going. And gratefully in the last year, like everything I've been working on is finally all coming together, like yeah. TV deals and movies and cool. books. And like, so it's great. But I'm like, I'm very overwhelmed. Yeah. And so I sometimes open my computer and I'm just like, I don't even know where to start. Flooded. So, I get flooded so easily where it's like all of these, yeah. you know. And then you just want to turn it off and just like do nothing. Yep. Yeah. And it's so like every for, car has yep. entered the Lincoln Tunnel and they've yeah. all crashed into <laughs> each other. And I can't figure yeah. out how to get to New York or New Jersey right now. <laughs> exactly. And then what happens is, and then you end up doing like the easiest thing, which is like yeah. answering like, like ordering your meal or whatever. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I walked my dog yes, and that yes. can, I'm considering that doing something when it's just what she needs every day. Totally, totally. So for me, what has really helped is every night before I go to sleep is I just, I, I schedule my next day. Like I'm going to, oh, cool. like I really just make a schedule. Like my kids, when I have my kids here, you know, yeah. I have them like till like nine, I meditate, I work out, eat. I like, right, this is my breakfast time. And then, I carve out like from 10 to 12, I'll be writing from 12 to two. Mm. I'll be answering emails from these times. I'm like, I, I make a point to just like slot things out. So I will have, because what happens is you can sit and answer emails all day yeah. and then I can't actually get any creative work done. So I really yep. just like set times aside mm. for that. And then when it's time with my kids in the evening, um, cause I have a babysitter that helps, um, yeah. 
I keep, I have a rule that I keep my phone in my room and mm. otherwise like I'll be on it all the time with them. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and I just keep little notepads around because I get ideas, especially with them all the time. So I just like write down the idea if it comes to me, so I don't forget it, but I never leave oh. them and I keep my phone. So then when they go to sleep, I can go back and like, look at all the stuff. And so I, I do that every night. And then I do it's that on idea. Sundays for the week. And yeah. then I do like short term, like this is what I want by the end of the year. I, I really do for me, it helps me like really organize. Do you find that those are great ideas, especially just having notepads all around just in the off chance and not needing your phone near you. Um, do you find that scheduling creative time works for you if you know that like you you have that or are there days where sometimes you're like, I just I'm not I'm not feeling it right now. I think, I think you should pay attention to that when you don't feel it and you can just like pivot. But I know for me, I don't, the funny thing is in those creative times is not when I get my ideas. I get my ideas like when I'm dreaming or when I'm like showering or all (laughs) the other things, which is why I just write those down. And Mm. then in the times where I've scheduled, I can go and like expand, explore and whatever. Super because when smart. you're looking for it, you're never going to find it. Right, you know right, it right. Like it doesn't come. So totally. I just just keep a tr- like a keep a running thing because I can't work on it at the time you have the idea. So then yeah. I go and schedule the time to work on it. Oh, that's so smart. Uh, I mean, if you weren't busy with so many other books, I'd say write one about self-help <laughs> and life and all of that. Um, well, we've reached the end of the podcast and I oh. could talk to you for hours. Um but one thing that we like to do uh, for our guests that make time to talk to us is we create a uh, personalized horoscope um, that we have written from us to you that Melissa has put in the chat. If you would like to read yours out loud again, like we're not therapists, we are not astrologers. So it is what it is. <laughs> oh, I'm so excited. Okay, I'll read it. Dear Cancer, Crab of the Stars, this year you've released a book or already working on the next one and battled cancer during a freaking pandemic. We think it's about time the stars got their shit together to say, bravo, Sheetal. <laughs> I think so too. Right? I think so too. I'm like, enough, 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 enough. <laughs> I agree. Um, I am so thankful that you have made time to talk with us today. This has been so lovely. Um, where can people find you? Where can they get the book if they don't already know? Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me. This has been a joy, especially because I think you're wonderful and so funny and so talented. So thank I you. you. Um, I The easiest thing is to just go to my website, sheeplechef.com, because then you have links to all of the things. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I haven't delved into the TikTok world yet. So I don't know how to do all that. Me um, either. <laughs> but, uh, but I love, you know, I love hearing what you think. You can get my books. You can go to my website. It'll take you to links to indie shops, which I highly recommend you support. You can also get it at the one you all know. They're mm-hmm. all there. It's everywhere. You can order books. You can order the books. And if they don't have it, they'll order it for you. So just do what you feel best, but try to go indie. Um, Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> also, if you guys need a private investigator, she's available, as you've seen <laughs> by the beautiful shading of blinds. If you're watching this on YouTube, <laughs> um, thank you so much. This has been so fun. Get the books. Uh, follow her for all of her conversations. She's talking to great people. And also, if you want to get spicy, follow that Twitter because she's got some <laughs> political views. Yes, I do. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, guys, enjoy this episode. Hope you have. We'll see you next time on another episode of Not Too Deep. Goodbye. Too Deep. Too deep.
too deep, too deep, not too deep. It was Grace Helbig. Not Too Deep is a production of Grace Helbig Incorporated, producer Melissa D. Montz, edited by Shireen Lani Yunus. Post-production sound by Chris Henry and an extra special thanks to Flula for the theme music. <laughs> <laughs>